God. Again, it does not have to be this way. I mean, I, yeah, I, I, and, and that's the thing. Like, this is about the possibility of public education, right? It is like, it, it doesn't have to be this way. And, and it's a fairly straightforward reason why not. You know, you could hire more professionals to be in schools. You could give kids uh, safe facilities. Like, it, it just, it does not have to be this way. And the flip side of it could be an incredibly positive transformational educational system. So, yeah, it does not have to be this way. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Underfunded. I'm Meg Sanespree. And I'm Mel Bavaria. So we spent the last two episodes diving into how we got here. But in this episode, we should tackle where we are now and where we should go going forward. We're going to revisit some of the people that we've talked to on the podcast before in previous episodes to figure out where we go from here. Ultimately, we know what we need, and we hope we've done a good job of explaining to our audience exactly what that is so that you have a better understanding. What we need is more funding, and we need more equitable funding. But how do we get there? So there are two things that are currently happening um, that aim to address this issue. So we talked about one briefly in the last episode, which is the program called Level Up, which was in the last budget. Um, The second which has been mentioned by a lot of people we've spoken to on this podcast, so you've gotten the sense that it's happening, is this current lawsuit that's happening against the state. So before we get into the lawsuit that is going on right now, and we'll share a little bit later how you can tune in, uh, we want to take a moment to talk about Level Up. Now, for me personally, my kids have been involved in this right now. They've been benefiting from it. To refresh us all, the legislature, with pressure from advocates, did do one thing in the most recent budget cycle that was a step in the right direction. It was a step, okay? Their one solution to this equity crisis was to give more money to the schools who needed it the most. They came up with this idea called Level Up, and it did just that, really. It specifically directed funds to the most underfunded districts in the state. The legislature did decide to adopt the strategy this year for the first time, and they gave it $100 million. That's that's not insignificant. So on the one hand, that's a great idea. And it's one that the legislature seemed actually open to, which was a good a step in the right direction. But remember how we talked about how the funding formula was a great idea, but it only works if you put really actual money into it? That's the same thing with Level Up. Um, it's a great idea. It could tackle part of the problem. But it only does that if the legislature puts a significant amount of money into it. Just like the funding formula, they didn't actually put enough money into Level Up to make a significant dent in the problem, even if theoretically it's a great idea. Right. I mean, we hear $100 million and we're like, wow, that's a chunk of change. But honestly, when you're looking at how many kids are in Pennsylvania who are struggling right now, especially given the the wake of the coronavirus pandemic, it is most certainly not enough to fix this problem. Let's remember that the governor's original budget proposal, which had advocates very excited, was a billion with a B. That's the kind of figure that it could take to solve this issue. And 100 million, which sounds life-changing to you and me, it's not even close to enough to solve the equity crisis. Many schools across PA have seen a bit more money coming in this year. Parents and teachers, you may have noticed that in your own schools. For the most underfunded district, some of that money came from Level Up. But actually, most of it came from the federal government aid that came to the states this year in the wake of the pandemic. The federal government gave billions to schools across the country to help them recover after COVID, which was really necessary after the destruction over the last two years. But that money is a one-time allocation of funds that will go away in a few years. It can't be used to boost school funding over the long term. We've seen this before, right? When we talked about how Governor Rendell used the relief money from the 2008 financial crisis to move our schools in the right direction. But then it ran out and Corbett drastically cut school funding. 
leaving them in an even worse situation than they were in before. We need to learn from that. A one-time relief package is great, and especially right now, it's really, really necessary, but that does not solve the funding crisis in PA. In fact, one of the fears is that the one-time federal money could give state lawmakers an excuse for Harrisburg to cut state budgets for schools. The logic would go, if the states are paying for it, why should we? But that would be really, really terrible. While the federal money runs out in a couple of years, state cuts can last much longer and end up moving us farther away from where we need to be. And just like after the Corbett administration cut a billion dollars from the school budget, it could take years, maybe decades, for our schools to recover from a decision like that. So that's why so many school districts across the Commonwealth are upset about this. Rural districts, urban districts, it doesn't fit any particular mold. There are a lot of kids affected by this. This is how the system works. But now parents, teachers, and advocates are saying, no, this impacts us all. And we shouldn't be fighting over limited state resources that are basically scraps at this point. Instead, it should be about all the districts in Pennsylvania getting exactly what they need to educate our kids effectively. And that's where this current lawsuit comes in. So for transparency, we just want to say that this podcast was produced using funding from the William Penn Foundation with support from the Public Interest Law Center. The Public Interest Law Center is one of a few law firms representing the petitioners in this case. And who are the petitioners? Well, it's six school districts, a few parents, and two different organizations. One is the NAACP, the other is PARS, which is the Pennsylvania Association of Rural and Small Schools. They are suing the state over inadequate and inequitable funding. Their claim is that the state government in Harrisburg is not fulfilling its constitutionally required duty to thoroughly and efficiently educate our children. And I think throughout the last episodes, we've led you down a path where we hopefully have given you a picture of how that's the case. So that's what the Commonwealth's Constitution says. Let's remember that our kids, residents of Pennsylvania, have a right to a, quote, thorough and efficient education. These school districts, parents, and students don't think that the current system is achieving that standard. And to be honest, we tend to agree. Lots of people do. And in fact, many people in Harrisburg agree that something is not working in our schools. But where lots of people disagree is the extent of the problem and how to fix it. Here's Donna Cooper, who we've talked to before. Um, She's the executive director of what used to be called the Public Citizens for Children and Youth, but now the organization is called Children's First. I think that the lawsuit is um, something that has the potential to give lawmakers uh, a third-party validation that this situation has to change, that there is a constitutional infringement, uh, and that they will need to do something to solve that constitutional infringement. And that may solve the math problem. Because I will say, in my experience, state lawmakers, and again, some of them do not fit this mold, but many do feel that there is a real structural problem with how we fund our schools but they don't come from communities where that structural problem is taking a toll. If they had to go back to their voters and say, look, I have to do this because the courts made us, it gives them a way to take action they know they should take and to put it mildly, put the blame somewhere else. There does seem to be a growing consensus that these issues are structural and can't just be solved with budget negotiation or within the details of a new policy. So that's why the state is being taken to court. Okay, so let's just get into it. We talked to Dan Jurevic Acklesberg, one of the lawyers in the case, and he's also a Philadelphia parent. We asked him what this lawsuit is really about. At its core, we're asking for the state to be ordered to create a system where all children have access to the resources they need, the interventions they need, regardless of the wealth of their communities that they come from. 
from all the people that we've talked to for this podcast across the state, we know that that's not happening in many districts across the state. But what would that even look like? No one is asking for anything crazy or anything is anything fancy. Like what, what school communities are asking for are sufficient numbers of teachers, are sufficient numbers of counselors, are sufficient numbers of reading specialists, are safe facilities, you know, it basic technology so that kids can can, you know, uh, compete in the 21st century. And so it's really just the basic things that every child should have, you know, um, and sometimes that takes a lot of resources, you know, so it, if a child needs a small class size, the way you do that is you have to hire another professional and professionals cost money. You know, there's, there's not really like a, there's not a, a neat trick to get around the fact that the solution to our education problem are professionals, a lot more professionals in the schools. So, so just hearing Dan say this, and, and I've heard him talk about this before, but I'm seeing the effects of it right now with my own kids. You know, we've had some influx of money and my kids are coming out of one of the most traumatic year and a half that any little people have experienced. And just for example, when I look at my current twin second graders, um, they are in a class of 12 to 14 students with, there's two reading specialists, there's math specialists, and there's several school-based mental health support staff. There's a room in the school where they can go to take space, center, practice mindfulness. It's just so completely different than when my fourth grader was in second grade. And they have the same teacher, and she's absolutely amazing. I have not a bad word to say about her, but she was drowning, I'm sure, without all these extra supports. And when I just see the difference between, you know, two years ago, what my 10-year-old had in that same classroom and what just a little bit of money has done, it just blows my mind The people aren't understanding that the money's the solution, like Dan's saying. I mean, my kids are basically in a one-to-four ratio all day with someone who knows what they're doing and cares about them. And it is it just has astronomical effects positive effects. As we said before, the federal money is not the solution to this problem, but it does show us something. It shows us what these schools could do with just some more funding. It really makes a huge difference. What do we need in schools? We need we need more adults. We need more skilled adults. It's, it's really, in some ways, just a really simple thing. But that simple solution also costs a lot of money. If, it, if there were a computer program that we could buy that would solve all these problems, it would have already been bought. You know, if they were a, a neat a neat trick to solve these problems, it would have already been solved. But what we actually need is the thing that there's no shortcut for. We actually need our more professionals in schools. And, um, and it's really in some ways that simple. And that is an expensive proposition. You just have to pay professionals to be in schools. There is no shortcut. You have to train teachers, you have to train professionals, and then you have to pay them like professionals so that they stay in the schools. And 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 that's kind of it. I mean, there's obviously there's a lot of other ancillary things. There's there's the facilities and there's the technology and all the rest. But at its core, um, it's both very basic and it can be costly, you know, because we expect to pay professionals like professionals. This is something we hear from advocates all the time. 
they don't need fancy software, even though many schools do really need standard up-to-date computers and textbooks, which is another thing that my kids have this year that they did not have before the pandemic. Again, thanks to some of those emergency funds. They all have a Chromebook that they can use at school. According to most teachers, experts, and advocates, though, what they really need is more adults in the room, more teachers so that the class sizes can be smaller, more special ed teachers and ESL teachers to support kids who need services they can't get from anyone but a trained professional with expertise to help them. Schools need more teachers to teach special skills like art and music. They need nurses, particularly in a pandemic, but really at any time. Schools need counselors, especially after the collective trauma our kids have been through the last year and a half, but we always need counselors. Again, these things are the basics. And that's one of the reasons why there's so much hype about this lawsuit. Here are just some of the things that we've heard from the familiar voices that you've heard before on this podcast throughout the last five episodes. This is from Dolly Amaro, who's from Allentown. I think the lawsuit is definitely important because it's going to set an example of um, like what is the standard like what and I also think another part of what needs to happen is continuing to bring awareness to the inequities to start making people feel uncomfortable in the fact that like how can you have kids like living and learning like this when um, like they are owed money they are owed money like this district is owed money and you are robbing them of their education because what happens in the end is these we lose these kids like we like education is supposed to light their light and like going through these school districts their light gets put out like they end up leaving school feeling like they have no purpose and that is the absolute opposite of what um, the American education system is supposed to be doing so I think raising awareness to what is happening to them mentally emotionally and Um, making that uncomfortable, like having those uncomfortable conversations so that change does happen. Here's Susan Spicka from Shippensburg. Yeah, I'm actually very optimistic about this. I mean, people, people love their public schools. They are the hearts of our communities all over the state. Um, People want their kids to get opportunities so that they can be successful in life. And I think ultimately lawmakers want to have a state where we are going to 10 years from now have a thriving workforce that is able to support all of our needs. And so, you know, I am hopeful that this lawsuit will be a catalyst that will, you know, push, you know, raise up the issue and then also pressure the legislature um, to do what's right. And in my heart, I believe that people want what is right and and that this is going to get us there. Here's Michael Facinetto, also from Allentown. Well, I think most of us are anxiously waiting. I know I was, you know, talking this up for the past couple months in different groups that I'm a part of, and everybody, the chatter has been getting louder. This is Valerie Harrison. She's in Philadelphia. I think 2020 shined a light on what many knew, but it, it did prick the consciousness of, of many people. Um, and we have seen movement um, toward equity in many, many areas. Um, and this is one. And I think what our hope is, is the lawsuit will resolve the issue in a way um, that we're not constantly, again, taking two steps forward and then four steps backward and another three steps forward. That's the hope. And here's Donna Cooper, statewide advocate. Well, I think it's big. I think that um, in this case, you know, this lawsuit is much stronger than the um, PARS lawsuit in the 90s because we have 
standard student assessments that can show the injury to students associated with the inequity in funding schools and that it, the pattern of failure on the part of student achievement follows the uh, inequity in um, and the underfunding of schools pretty directly. Donna Cooper brings up a really good point in that last clip. This case has already been through a lot, and its staying power is one of the parts that has educators, families, and advocates so excited. We talked about this in the last couple of episodes, but this is not the first lawsuit that's been brought against the state on this issue. Remember in the 1990s, the courts in Pennsylvania basically said that education funding was not within their purview of the court system, and that it had to be dealt with on a legislative or political level. Essentially, they said, it's not our job, we're not getting involved, you basically have to keep your legislators accountable as voters. But this one's different, and it's taken a long time to get here. Here's Michael Facinetto again, that elementary school teacher in Allentown that we talked to back in the first couple of episodes. I know I'm optimistic because everybody said this would never happen. It was going to get tossed, you know, within weeks of being filed back in 2014. It was never going to clear this hurdle, and of course it did, and it would now definitely won't clear this hurdle. And of course it did. So the fact that it's going to trial, there's going to be a lot of public attention around it. I think a lot of people in the districts that are challenged know what's going on and they know how their students and their children and community are being impacted. But I don't think a lot of people in the districts who are adequately funded, suburban districts, and even districts who maybe are underfunded, but have the tax base to make up that difference. So families don't see the financial stress um, that some other districts face. I think when that starts to come out, the public opinion is going to be on the side of, of education and not on the side of Harrisburg. So I'm optimistic. I think a lot of people share that optimism. But again, we've been we've been waiting for a long time for this. And this problem has been around for a long time. So I don't want to put the cart before the horse. But cautiously optimistic, I think, is a good way to describe it. You know, I think what Facinetto says there really strikes a chord with me. I grew up in an adequately funded school district. I think it's technically now slightly underfunded, but it has that local tax base to make it up. I had no idea what was going on in other districts, none, until I became an adult and began um, working as a caseworker and, and visiting different school districts in different communities. This case was originally filed in 2014. That was right after the disastrous education budget cuts that lost court with the election and rallied education as a voting issue in PA once again. But because the court had already said that education funding wasn't a part of their job, the case had to be appealed to the state Supreme Court before it was actually allowed to continue. So finally, the PA Supreme Court changed their minds and said that the courts in the Commonwealth could indeed take up the issue of education funding and that it was an issue of constitutionality. So then it goes back to the Commonwealth Court which is where we are now. In 2014, um, we tried again. We filed another case. And um, it was a new Pennsylvania Supreme Court. Uh, by the time we got to them, we lost to start, but then we got to appeal to the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. And this Pennsylvania Supreme Court was much more willing to uphold the constitutional rights of, of children um, to, to have a high-quality education. So... Um, you know, uh, courts are not perfect and um, and make different decisions at different times. Um, this was a, a different court with none of the same justices. And they wrote a very strong decision that, that said, you know, what, what else are courts for if it's not to determine the constitutionality of laws, right? This is a very basic sort of American fundamental uh, government 
and uh, and and that's what. And so and as a result, uh, they reopened the courthouse doors. This most recent ruling allowed the Commonwealth Court to hear the case. But this whole process of filing and then having to appeal and then coming back to the Commonwealth Court, it's taken years, seven years. To put that into perspective, when the lawsuit started, this lawyer didn't have any kids. But now his son is in kindergarten at a Pennsylvania public school in Philadelphia. Like, I love dropping my, my kid off at school. I just, I they, they, they line up every day and there's four groups of kindergartners who, who line up to walk in the doors because, you know, parents aren't allowed to go inside in, in the current time. And, you know, you just, I, it's cheesy, but you just, you just see these, <laughs> these, these four lines of, of 27 kids. And it's just this extraordinary, cute, precocious group of, of the future of the Commonwealth, of, of possibility, of goofiness, of happiness. And it's just like, it does smack you in the face that like, in that group, right? If, if we want that group of kids to be successful when they're 18 years old, we need to totally transform the educational system, right? Like, because in that group, there's gonna be a lot of kids who are behind. There's gonna be a lot of kids who need a, a reading specialist, you know, or who need, need more time with a school counselor. And if we don't give it to them, to that group of 105 kindergartners, then we just know that when they're 18, there, many of them are not going to have the success that we all want for our own kids. I just love that the mental image he paints there because I agree that school drop-off in the morning is one of my favorite times of the day. They just run in so excited to see their friends as if they they haven't seen them the day before, but they're just they're so full of life at that age. And I just worry about what what we're doing to them if we continue to under-resource them until they're teenagers. The other difference between when this started and now, besides Dan being a parent, is that Harrisburg isn't even the same anymore. We have a different governor than we did in 2014, and largely because of the issue of education funding. So who exactly is on trial? We are suing anyone who can make a difference, and one of those people is a Democratic governor. When the case was started, it was a Republican governor. If there was a change in you know leadership in the House or Senate, it would go from a Republican defendant to a Democratic defendant. This is a case against the governor as much as anyone else. It's a case against the Department of Education, you know, uh, uh, with the Secretary of Education appointed by the governor as much as anyone else. In essence, it's the system that's on trial, right? And while the players have changed, the system is still in place, and these are the people who have the power to change the system we have. Okay, so we now know who's being sued, but who's doing the suing? So our, our plaintiffs are really a cross-section of Pennsylvania. There are six school districts um, that are plaintiffs in the case. Um, they are rural, urban, and suburban. So we have um, we have the Greater Johnstown School District in, in Western Pennsylvania, the Wilkes-Barre Area School District, the School District of Lancaster, so three um, small and mid-sized cities, the William Penn School District, which is an inner ring suburb in Delaware County outside of Philadelphia, and then two small school districts, the Shenandoah Valley School District in Schuylkill County and the Panther Valley School District in Carbon Counties. And they really are a cross-section of, of Pennsylvania, like with you know different demographics, different sizes, um, 
uh, different, you know, different geographies. So let's think back to episode two when we went basically around the state talking to all these different people. It's those types of people. It's people from all over the state. This is an issue that impacts all types of Pennsylvanians. Um, and therefore, the case is also representative of all types of Pennsylvanians who have this issue and who see it every day when they drop their kids off at school. Right. And I think that that's the thing that's been really surprising when I've talked to a lot of people in my life about this case is that, you know, especially in today's world, we like to make everything, you know, rich versus poor, rural versus urban, liberal versus Democrat. But this issue, like any way you slice it, you can't make it like that. It is affecting kids that fit every single one of those groups. It's just so wholly inequitable that you can't just let one demographic own it because it's just the way that it's come down the pike over the last several decades just means that no one has been untouched by this. And as we mentioned, it's not just school districts who are suing the state. It's also families and some organizations. Along with those school districts, there are also some families that have um, joined the lawsuit. Um, Family from Philadelphia, for example, um, as well as families from um, from Wilkesbury and families um, from the William Penn School District, and then there are also um, two statewide organizations, including the Pennsylvania Association of Rural and Small Schools, as well as the NAACP of Pennsylvania. This is one of the things that makes the case so interesting. It's not just Philadelphia, like some of the past court cases. It's also not just PARS, like some of the past court cases, which represents the Commonwealth's rural and small schools. In fact, that's the whole point of what we've been saying all along, that this is an issue that's widespread and impacts districts of all shapes, sizes, colors, and geographies. And all types of districts, all types of students, and all types of families are represented in that group. Okay, so what should we expect from this court case? I mean, I don't know about you guys, but it's not very often that I I sit down and watch a live court case. But this one I've been pretty wrapped up in. So the court start date was already pushed back multiple times, as often happens with court cases, and it finally started on November 12th. So it's happening right now, and it's being live streamed. We've been watching it in the background. Obviously, it's long, and there's a lot of legal jargon, but it's really interesting. You can watch it on the Funder Schools PA website. Don't worry. We'll repeat the link for you at the end of the podcast, and it's in the show notes. There are rallies being organized outside the courthouse in Harrisburg, and so many communities are talking about it. So what happens now? Well, first of all, this is going to be a long trial. We don't expect everyone to tune in every day because we've got things going on. But we do really hope that people can check in along the way and see what's happening. In all senses of the word, we have no idea what the end result will be or what the court will decide. But we do anticipate that it will go for a few weeks, probably into the new year. Let's say that the court agrees that the state has not been living up to its constitutional obligation to provide a thorough and efficient education. So just hypothetically, let's say they win. What happens then? Well, we asked a few people. First, we asked the lawyer. There's a lot of different ways you can go about it, and and, um, there's no question that even if we are so lucky to win, so fortunate enough to win, that the General Assembly and the governor will be given some measure of of latitude to figure out um, the, the specificity of how we get there. And we're, you know, we're fairly agnostic. There's like, there's a lot of different ways you can, you can um, solve this problem. But um, what we really are after is, is just the end goal, which is that it, a child needs to have the resources they need, irrespective of the wealth of their community. 
So Ron Cowell, who we heard from in the last few episodes, doesn't believe that the court will or even that they should prescribe a solution for the legislature. It's hard to speculate what the court might do, but uh, you suggested in the best of circumstances. Uh, well, maybe in the best of circumstances, the court would rule in favor of the plaintiffs and impose a solution. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, you know, the court is likely, we hope the court will agree with the plaintiffs, say the current system is uh, unconstitutional, that the rights of kids uh, are not uh, being fulfilled, uh, the constitutional obligation of uh, state government is not being fulfilled, uh, and the court is likely to go to the legislature, order the legislature to, to uh, find a remedy. Uh, ideally, uh, whether it is court-imposed or something that the legislature comes up with, uh, ideally, in my opinion, uh, it will be a formula uh, that uh, measures the needs of districts and students uh, and uh, determines a state obligation uh, to level the playing field uh, across the state's 500 school districts so that no longer will the opportunities for kids be dependent on the relative wealth of the district that they're born into or, or where they live. So the general consensus seems to be that it's relatively unlikely that the court will say, you, Pennsylvania legislature, have to allocate X million dollars or billion dollars in this way, in this way. They most likely won't be that specific, but they could say, you, Pennsylvania, are not fulfilling your duty in violation of the Constitution, and the legislature must come up with a way to fix it. Go do it. And this is where Pennsylvania constituents become even more crucial than you already have been. If and when the legislature goes to find a new system, it would be an immense opportunity, kind of like a blank slate to redo our education system. But it would take a lot of public pressure to make sure the solution lawmakers come up with is adequate and not just more of the bare minimum that satisfies the court, not just more of the same lip service. The court could end up being very open-ended. If that were to happen, it adds more pressure to the public to be engaged, not less pressure. Only that the uh, element of public advocacy, I think, is absolutely critical. Uh, as I suggested, uh, it's, in my opinion, uh, a favorable court decision will stop short of imposing a solution most likely will direct the legislature uh, to act. Uh, and so I think public advocacy remains uh, important, maybe more important uh, than ever before, uh, even with a court victory. Uh, folks need to get to their lawmakers, uh, need to persuade their lawmakers that uh, this is a fundamental responsibility of state government. It's one of the few things that is explicitly noted in the state constitution. Uh, and that state lawmakers have an obligation uh, to address the issue. Ideally, they would address it without uh, a court decision. Uh, but with or without the court decision, lawmakers need to accept responsibility and to act accordingly. Uh, and I think that's only going to get done uh, when they feel the heat of uh, public advocacy. And so uh, in that sense, there's something for every one of us to do in terms of communicating with our lawmakers and supporting lawmakers who will uh, probably in the end have to make some tough decisions uh, to really fix this problem. 
So just because this issue has now taken a legal path doesn't mean that the grassroots political path can wither away. The law might create the opening, again, if they're successful, but even then it's up to lawmakers and the constituents that they represent to fill the opening with something better. It would become even more important to show that constituents take this issue really seriously as a voting issue, and that as such, they'll pressure lawmakers to make a system that works for everybody. Here's Susan Spica again. I I think people are very excited about this. I think people are um, really hoping that this lawsuit will be able to, you know, fully expose the system that state lawmakers have supported for for a very long time and and really help push public will and push people to tell lawmakers that this is unacceptable. We are no longer willing to accept this. It is a system that needs to be changed, period. Um, So I think that like among advocates, there's a lot of excitement about the lawsuit um, coming and and going to trial. And I'm, I'm really hopeful that it will just galvanize even more um, the support of parents and community members across the state to tell their lawmakers that it's, it's past time to fix it. Because I think what, what it will do that we've had a hard time doing is, is that like drawing the straight line from what is happening in your local school district and, and the deficits of resources, drawing the line from that to your state lawmakers who are the ones who actually make that decision. We're gonna take you guys back to Dan. We obviously we wanna we wanna win the case with the evidence that we prove in court. Um, but we also hope that that people pay attention to the evidence in court and and talk to their legislators about why these realities exist. Um, there's, I know that there's a lot of people, this is, this is a big deal. And so there's a lot of organizations that are trying to, um, trying to use this as a moment to really talk about education beyond the courtroom. And honestly, that seems to be what has been happening so far. There have been so many advocacy groups that went to the Capitol steps in Harrisburg the day of the opening arguments. The media has started to cover this trial pretty heavily. I heard it on the radio just this morning when dropping my kids off to that adorable little morning picture before school starts every day. Parent groups have started to talk about it in their circles. People are talking about it in Facebook groups and at school board meetings. It's actually something that people have on their radar. And for that, the lawsuit's really important. Yes, it's historic and could potentially change the face of education in the state. That's super crucial. But even if they don't win, the most important aspect of the lawsuit might be the fact that it raises awareness about the issue and the fact that we have families and districts and teachers suffering across the state doing the best with what they have and it's not enough. And the ultimate price is the fact that our kids are not adequately prepared for the future that awaits them. Public education is frustratingly expensive. If you've ever listened to one single budget meeting for your school board, you know that. The most minor things come at an astronomical cost. Most crucial public goods are like that. Having clean water is expensive, but we expect it from the government. Again, another one of those things not every community gets. Having roads is expensive, although we know living in Pennsylvania, that's also not something that every community gets. Um, But they're necessary to run a, a state, a commonwealth. Public education is expensive, but the only thing more expensive is not having it. When our kids are not adequately educated, they don't have the reading and math skills that are expected of them in the 21st century. They're less likely to attend or finish college, not to mention high school. 
Their job prospects become limited and our workforce suffers. There are a million economic reasons why high quality public education saves us money in the long run. But that is not fundamentally why people should care about this. We should care about this because kids deserve better than what they currently have. They deserve a better system that serves them, supports them, and prepares them. Teachers deserve better. They deserve wages that reflect their expertise and support from the systems that they work for. Parents deserve better. They deserve to feel secure that they're sending their kids to buildings that won't poison them and instead will support in the growth of the children that they love. Think about it. Children spend a lot of their life at school. My 10-year-old recently calculated for me how much of his life he spends at school using fractions, which are the current thing that they're learning in school right now. And he's right. It's a lot. And so if they're going to be there so much, they deserve better. But not only do they deserve better, they can have better. It's possible. This isn't some pie in the sky. Other states have systems that work better. That's a fact. I have an education degree. I have friends in other states who are living in an entirely different reality. Some districts in this state, not, not a lot, but some of them have shown us what it looks like to have adequate funding and give kids what they deserve. And you know what? Their kids are graduating and they're having more of a shot at being successful and stable than kids that don't get what they need. It's possible to have that for all kids. It's possible for your zip code to not determine your future, but we just have to demand it. The lawsuit is one way that Pennsylvanians have demanded it, but it's not the only way. We hope that this podcast will add to that conversation, but also show people what the stakes are and how it is that we got here in the first place. Not just because it's interesting, although we think it is and we hope you think it's interesting too, but because it's important. So we're really thankful to everyone who listened, shared, and engaged with us by email or on social media. We're especially thankful to our forever calm producer, Joey Sweeney, for his endless patience. And of course, thanks to our funder, the William Penn Foundation, for supporting this work. If you have any further questions about the content of this podcast, the state of public education in Pennsylvania, the history of public school funding, the lawsuit, or anything else, please feel free to reach out to either one of us on Twitter. Mine's at Melanie Bav, M-E-L-A-N-I-E-B-A-V. And I'm at Meg St. Esprit, M-E-G-S-T-E-S-P-R-I-T, all one word. We would love to hear from you. We've had a great time digging into all of this, and we hope you've enjoyed it too. If you want more content like this, please let us know that too. We're always looking to provide content that's valuable for our readers, listeners, and viewers. And don't forget to watch the trial. Go to funderschoolspa.org for the live stream and support your local education journalists covering issues about the trial. Let them know that it matters and let them know that you're listening. Thank you so much for coming on this journey with us. 